there is, a, there is something happening in the world that prompts a question. Okay, there's five or six things that are happening in the world that prompts a question, but I want to talk about one of them, right? Anybody in the room, this is not a question, anybody in the room, is, is anybody in the room the guy that starts in October counting down till when pitchers and catchers report for spring training? Anybody, there, there they are. I got one there. John Clay is not. Pitchers and catchers reported to spring training for Major League Baseball about two weeks ago. And then, uh, then the rest of the team um, reported a few days after that. And uh, on Thursday of this week, uh, and, then, and then on Friday and Saturday, officially, uh, the first games of spring training happened. They did. They did. In fact, uh, anybody keep up with the Atlanta Braves? America's team. Uh, the Atlanta Braves... Um, uh, they, they played yesterday in their opening game of spring training. They, uh, they were down early, but they came back to win. They beat the Blue Jays 7-4. to four. Um, And what's fascinating about the fact that they won, okay, if you follow the Braves, um, thank you, that's not even a joke. Um, what's fascinating, other than the fact they won, is that their starting pitcher is not young. Bartolo Colon, um, he's a southerner, uh, Bartolo Colon, um, was born, he's older than I am, which is really old. He was born in 1973, and this is his 20th season of Major League Baseball. 20th season of Major League Baseball, Bartolo Colon. He was a starting pitcher. He'll probably be a starting pitcher. Um, if you've ever seen him, he doesn't quite look like well, he might look like a pitcher. He does not look like a baseball player. Um, 20 years of being a professional baseball player, and yet he still needs almost two months to get ready for his job. Right? The first spring training happened. This is a photograph uh, from the first spring training. Uh, or, or from, from probably one of the teams that participated in the very first of the spring trainings. Uh, the first spring trainings date back to the 1870s. Are you with me? 1870s. Think about that. That's a long, that's a long time ago. They, uh, this is the Chicago White Stockings. Um, everybody but maybe two guys got the memo that to be a professional baseball player, you had to have an amazing mustache, right? <laughs> Um, but uh, good-looking guys, the uh, Chicago White Stockings, their owner and their, their manager uh, sent them away from Chicago to get ready for the season. It was the first time that ever happened, around the 1870s. And, uh, and it took off. It, uh, it took off in a place, um, uh, after, after being held in Jacksonville for a little bit, New Orleans for a little bit, it, uh, it really took off in the late 1800s in a place called Hot Springs, Arkansas, Anybody from Arkansas? Um, uh, this is, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like the home, the origins of Major League Baseball spring training. And it became, Hot Springs became the home of, uh, of the start of the season for some of the greatest players to ever play a long, long time ago. Of course, they do it now in Florida and out in Arizona with the, uh, the, the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League. But, but, in, but back in the day, it happened in Hot Springs, Arkansas. In fact, one of the greatest players of all time, you recognize him? 
the babe. This, uh, this picture dates back to his, uh, I think, his first season in the minor, in the in spring training in, uh, in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Now, here's the thing, here's the thing. Whether you're Bartolo Colon and you've been playing baseball for 20 years or you're Babe Ruth, arguably, actually arguably the greatest baseball player to ever play, right? What he could do at the plate and the fact he was arguably one of the best pitchers of his time as well. I mean, the fact that you've got to get ready for the job that you do for six or seven weeks before you do it begs the question, what is that about? See, I think spring training is this beautiful, beautiful reminder to the church that even the best in the world forget what they're supposed to do and have to remember it. Think about it. Spring training, spring training is on one level physical. You're, 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 you're remembering, you're helping your body to remember how fast you have to swing, uh, how, how hard you have to throw to get it across the, uh, across the diamond. So on one level it's physical, but on another level, you're having to remember how the game works. I mean, like the intricacies. If the ball's hitting the left field and there's a runner on first and second, right? Who's, who's covering second base? And if, and if the pitcher's covering third because the third baseman goes to be the cutoff man, who's covering home plate? You with me? I mean, it, th- this, is, this is actually how grown-up baseball works, and you've got to get back together for spring training to remember all of it and to talk through it, not to mention the fact that, that there is an element of that you've forgotten how to be a team together, and you have to remember that as well. I think, I think there's a lesson in the fact that if the best in the world have to spend nearly two months getting ready for what they do, then maybe the church should talk about how we also ourselves are those who are prone to forget and who need to remember. We've been talking about evangelism now for the last few weeks, and we started, and I can, I can repeat it in just, in just a moment, we started with the truth, ready? This is the truth, that evangelism is an announcement of an event that has already happened. And of course, the event that the church talks about all the time, because it's the greatest event in history, is that Jesus Christ, who was crucified on Friday, was raised from the dead on Sunday. That's the greatest event of all time. And we talk about that, but there are other events that we also talk about and that we also announce and retell the story of. Like the God who heard the cry of his people and he sent a deliverer so that they would be freed from slavery and bondage to sin and death. Like, like the God who takes people who, who are dead and makes them alive. I and mean, we retell these stories. Like the God who heard my prayer. Or, or even the story of the God who drew close, close enough to a fifth grader at Epworth-by-the-Sea one summer camp years ago. And Scott's life has never been the same after that. I mean, these are the stories we retell from the events that have already happened, and it all happens finally so that our lives would be changed. That's what evangelism is. It's just retelling the story that's already happened so that our lives would be changed. And, and we've been talking about the audience, and the first one we said was our children, because it cannot be taken for granted that just because they grow up in our house or under our feet at church or down the street from us or in our classrooms that they're automatically going to get what we got. In fact, it's actually pretty sure that they're not going to get what we got unless we do a better job of being intentional about it, right? 
That, that's, that's the fact about how we have to evangelize our children. And then last week we said what we all know, and that is that there are people outside of the church that God would like to be inside of the church, so we've got to reach out to outsiders. And so we've got these books that, uh, that, 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 that we're passing out out there, and we, I want you to get, I want you to read them with me, because we believe that God is putting people in our lives that we're traveling with. You got that. But, but this week, this week might be, might be the one that we don't think about or talk about enough. And that is that there are people who were inside the church who've forgotten, who did have it, but now seem to have let go of it. And they're not far away. They, they might be just outside of the church, close enough that they can hear us, but that they're not here now. What, what, what do we say and what do we do? And what do, There is... There's probably no better book in all of the Bible, no better letter ever written in the New Testament than, uh, than the letter to the Hebrews when it comes to what it means to be a forgetterer who's turned into a rememberer. So I invite you to turn in the Bibles that you brought with you or uh, in your devices. You're allowed to turn those on. The preacher gives you permission to pull out your phone. Don't, no, don't go to the app with the big F on it, right? Don't get the little Tweety Bird on it. No, go, go, uh, go open, up your, open up your Bible and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. It's towards the end of the book. It's towards the end of the book. Mine's on page 229 in the New Testament, if that helps you. And chapter 12 says this. Let me, let me say Hebrews is a letter that is written to a church that has people who are on the brink of forgetting and knows people who've already forgotten. Are you with me? I mean, this is the perfect letter. And I think it's, I think it's got a word for today. And it starts with this. So then let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. Since we have such a great cloud of witnesses. That, that's this reminder that there is more going on than we can see. And that just because we cannot see their faces does not mean they can't see us. This great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus. Faith's pioneer and perfecter he endured the cross ignoring the shame that's a it's a huge word for what's going on here for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and he sat down at the right side of god's throne think about the one who endured such opposition from sinners and then i've got this underlined so that you won't be discouraged and won't give up. See, this is a letter written to people who are on the brink of losing it, who are on the brink of quitting, who are on the brink of forgetting, who are on the brink of saying, it's not worth it anymore, I don't know why I'm doing it. So that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. In verse 4 he says, In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted yet to the point of shedding blood. And you have forgotten the encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. And then he quotes back Proverbs. He says, My child, don't make light of discipline, of the Lord's discipline, 
or give up when you are corrected by him, because the Lord disciplines whomever he loves, and he punishes every son or daughter whom he accepts. And then, and then and I'm going to read these. These next few verses talk even more about discipline. And I want to, I want to close in a moment with a, with a word about that before we continue going. And this is what he says. Verse 7. Bear hardship for the sake of discipline. God is treating you like sons and daughters. What child isn't disciplined by his or her father? But if you don't experience discipline, which happens to all children, then you are illegitimate and not real sons and daughters. What's more, we had human parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our human parents disciplined us for a little while as it seemed best to them, but God does it for our benefit so that we can share His holiness. No discipline is fun while it lasts, but it seems painful at the time. Later, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. See, he's talking, he's talking about discipline here because I believe he is addressing one of, not the only one, but one of the obstacles or one of the, of the excuses or one of the reasons that those who have been inside and are now outside are giving for why they've quit on it. I mean, see, see the, the discipline he's talking about, the suffering that, that he's talking about, the heartache that people have experienced is real. But, 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 but the writer, and it, and it could be Paul, it might not be Paul, the writer of the book of Hebrews is, is saying that in the midst of the hurt and the suffering and the stuff that we experience as consequences for not just what we've done, but sometimes consequences for things that we can't explain, that there is more going on in the midst of suffering and that to focus on just the suffering is to miss what God could be doing in the midst of it. Are you with me? And the, the, God, the, God, the God who is with us when we have the questions that say, I prayed for a different outcome and it didn't happen. The God who is with us in the midst of questions like, 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 I didn't do anything to deserve this, and yet I'm suffering with it. Or for the friend we have, and we say, why is she dealing with that? Or why is he struggling with this? I mean, the, the writer here is saying, don't let, don't let the consequences which can be explained, or those the suffering that cannot be explained. Don't let that be a cause for you getting outside of, for you letting go of what you once had. He, he says this in the next verse. So strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees. And, and then I think this is fabulous. He says, make straight paths for your feet so that if any part is lame, it will be healed rather than injured more seriously. 
And, and you get that. It's, it's, like, uh, it's, like, it's, 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 it's like you need to pick up around you so that you're not tripping over stuff, right? Especially, especially if you're dragging something behind you, the last thing you want to do is hurt yourself more. But what if, what if this language wasn't just about the human body parts? like a dragging foot. What if this language was about the, the parts of the body of Christ? What if he's saying that our task as a church is to clear the way for anybody who's dragging behind? Or what about those who have fallen outside? And that our task is to clear the way so that they can come back easily. I'll, I'll say more about that in a second. Pursue the goal of peace along with everyone and holiness as well because no one will see the Lord without it. And then I close with this verse. It says, make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. I I tell you what, I tell you what, this would be in the running for a phenomenal life verse, right? How How about that? How about those first few words as your life verse? I live to make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. I come to work to make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. I walk in, I walk into that restaurant with an attitude, making sure that no one misses out on God's grace. That's pretty good stuff. Make sure that no root of bitterness grows up that might cause trouble and pollute many people. Now, he goes on and says, uh, and says more, lists more obstacles and more things, and you can, you can read about that in the Bibles that are there before you, but, but this, is, this is, let me say, this is, this is the Word of God, for we the people of God, and we respond, thanks be to God. I, I believe this is a letter written to a church that is encountering what it means to forget what it means to have had something and then forgotten about it. I I believe this is a letter to a church that is struggling with how to hold on with all that's going on around it. And, And the truth is, I'm a forgetter. I'm not talking about any of you, I'm talking about me now. I can come to not one or two, I can come to three worship services on a Sunday morning. And I'm lucky to make it to Monday morning or Monday afternoon still holding on to the goodness that has happened here. I'm, I'm a forgetter. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, a for, I'm a forgetter. This is, my, my story is that every day I struggle to remember that I am God's beloved. And the way I know that is that when I forget I'm God's beloved, I start to treat people poorly. And I start to treat myself poorly. And I know it today, and I'll know it tonight, but this afternoon, I'm a forgetter. And tomorrow, I'm a forgetter. And if I'm not engaged and practicing the disciplines and in a place that's always reminding me of what I'm going to forget if I don't watch out. Goodness. See, I'm not talking about, uh, you, you, you're, you say the word forgetting, and, 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 and half the room is like, yeah, 
I mean, I can't remember names and faces. I can't remember what I had for breakfast. I mean, you know, this isn't a word about forgetting names and faces. This is a word about forgetting the most important stuff ever. The church's task is to remember. Walter Brueggemann says it this way, and it's, it's, it's a statement that is so deep, I have to say it four times to get it. He says it this way. He says that remembering is the hard choosing of an alternative present because of a subversive past. Now, hang on, hang on. I, I don't even get it when I say it the first time. Listen to me, listen. That remembering is this difficult choice that I have to make to see that the thing, the present that's happening around me is not the only explanation, that there is an alternative version happening around me, and that is true because of what has happened in my past. That remembering is this verb, it's this act, it's this choice that I make to see that what's happening around me can be explained in a way that is better because of what has happened in the past. That remembering is the hard choosing of an alternative present because of a subversive past. And I can't think of a better word for the church today I mean, as we look around and ask, what in the world do we do with all of this? Then to say, but oh, I understand, I remember that there's another explanation for what's happening around me because of the subversive past, of the regular pattern of the God who turns things upside down. who takes evil and says no more. The task of the church is to make this regular, repeated, difficult choice that there's an alternative way of understanding what's happening because of this past that we have with a God who keeps his promises. That's that's the word for the church. But but what do we say? What do we say about the folks that we know? And we all know them, the folks that we know that have been inside and have now gotten outside. What do we say about that? And I think it's this. If I'm a forgetter and I need grace, maybe I extend grace to them as well. What, 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 what do we say to the person that, uh, that's absent from worship, not for a week, not for two, but I actually have a recommendation on what not to say. Would you hear it? To the person that you've invited back or the person that you haven't seen in a while and they come back and it's been, it's been three years and you walk up and say, hey man, 
Where in the world have you been the last three years? I hadn't seen you in forever. You sorry, good-for-nothing Stuart cop. <laughs> now, hold on. Here's the thing. I've heard people do that to people. You know how bad that is? Say it with me. Bad. And I know what you're thinking when you say it. I know what you're thinking, which is three years. You've been off having fun, and I've been here suffering with the worst sermons I've ever heard in my life, and you, you're sorry, good for nothing. I know what you're thinking. Don't welcome people back that way. Grace, because I'm a forgetter too. We all are. The gospel. The gospel is that we would remember the good news. Let's pray. Gracious God, give us the courage to remember this, this act as difficult as it might be of choosing to see your reality happening around us, which we know is true because of the subversive past, the, the history you have of taking the world and flipping it upside down. Lord, give us grace for all the ways we've forgotten and give us enough to extend it to others. And help us to simply invite them back to a place that welcomes them. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.